Hello, welcome everyone. I'm Bruce. I'm Greg. And I'm Casey. Together, we will dive into the mysterious world of the hit TV show, Supernatural. Join us as we follow Sam and Dean on some crazy adventures, as we break down episode by episode and have some fun along the way. Today's episode, Season 1, Episode 9, Home. Premiered on November 15th, 2005, directed by Ken Gerbati and written by Eric Kripke. We are Natural, Natural, Natural friends. 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 We've got our pal Greg, we've got our guy Bruce, they've got their other friend who's pretty cool. We're gonna spend some time with Sam and Dean, we're gonna kill some monsters and break down a scene. Remember, spoilers ahead. This week on Supernatural, Sam and Dean return to their childhood home because Sam has a secret dream of a woman in need. With a little help from a local psychic and their dead mom, they get rid of a poltergeist haunting the home. John Winchester mysteriously shows up, but avoids meeting with his sons. So immediately, we are back in Lawrence, Kansas. We're back, baby! And we see our... Damsel in distress for this week. Jen, you know last name. Looking at what appears to be a wedding photo. Anytime I see someone looking at a photo of them and someone else and they're sad, I always play a game in my head. Divorce or death? Hmm. What do you guys think? Because they never really clarify what happened. Initially, I thought divorce. I don't know. Maybe I was like, oh, everybody doesn't have to die. But, I mean, with the... Like action, uh, the events of this uh, episode, maybe death makes more sense. As you have alluded to before, Casey, I I grew up in a house of matrimony, so it never even crosses my mind that it would be divorce, and I just assumed the man was dead. Oh, I never think of that game. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes sense. He could very well be just divorced. Would it be completely crazy to think that she killed her husband? <laughs> um, I like it. It's fun fan theories, but what, what makes you say that? So she never really talks about him. The kids don't mention him. And then all she says about why she moved there, she needed a fresh start. And she moved without having a job first. And she has two kids to support. So she had to get away very quickly. That's true. It's pretty suspicious that she, like, even if, like, if your husband died, like, why would you up and move with no job or anything lined up? Any other theories, Bruce? That they just got divorced. No, I think, I think it's way more complicated. So let's see. I'm pretty, I think he was in the mob and she dimed on him. And so she had to up and move for witness protection. That's why she, she, you don't even get a last name from the girl because she's afraid to just divulge any information. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So I do actually have a real theory. I do actually have a real theory on this. Uh, it is jumping the gun on the conversation a little bit. So it, throughout this episode, it almost feels like something is setting up things in motion to get people to be certain places. So... It almost seems like our poltergeist demon that killed uh, mom even is maybe setting up different things to get them to that house. So, you know, specifically that lady needed to go by that house and stay there. She finds the pictures in the bottom, like the maybe, oh, we're leaving those pictures there. It just almost felt like something was making all these events happen so that they would end up going back there. Interesting. So everything was plotted to get the boys back there, including the lives of this no last name family. Right. They're just pawns in the scheme of things. I like it. What do you think, Greg? Well, I got hung up on the the buying a house without having a job thing that you pointed (laughs) out again. And I was just thinking that it is 2005, which is two years before the pre-crisis. Yeah. (laughs) So it's (laughs) pre-crisis. She got a subprime mortgage and was like, oh. No job, no credit to speak of. You can have the old haunted Winchester home. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Okay, yeah. Never mind, Bruce. That does make sense. Everything's square here. (laughs) All right, that's it. Mom is putting the daughter to bed. And they have to go through this whole ritual of closing the closet, putting the 
chair underneath the um, handles for the closet so nothing can get out. Did you guys have any weird rituals when you were little that you had to do before you could go to bed or that your parents had to do for you like that? I can't think of any. I think uh, I had a big problem with like under the bed, not like needing to check under, but being afraid of hanging limbs or anything. Uh, But other than that, I don't remember any rituals. I definitely don't have rituals. I mean, I have a standard, you know, read before you go to bed kind of thing. But I had a very overactive imagination as a kid. So specifically, I was, I had a hard time sleeping at night in the dark. I had to be asleep before it got dark in the room. So like somebody would have to come and turn the light (laughs) off because I was so freaked out about laying in the dark by myself. Um, I even have a dream specifically about my closet. I looked over my closet and like little like gremlin type things were coming out of it. And be- but I only saw it because I grabbed a light and shined it into the closet to see it. And I probably had that dream when I was seven or eight, probably. And I still remember that vividly. Like specifically, it was like, uh, did you guys ever see the light with that uh, you can hang for to work on a car? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was one of those because I probably was helping my dad work on the car. Um, but I picked that up and I looked into the closet and I could see them. So like I felt very connected to this girl at this point because I was like, yeah, yeah, that's creepy. Just that's a closet <laughs> in general. You're in the dark by yourself. Yeah, I got you. When I was young, around that same age, Bruce, around like seven, something like six or seven ish. Um, whenever I'd go to my grandma's house, we slept on um an air mattress in her bedroom across from the closet and i remember it happened multiple times but if the sky was clear enough if the moon was bright enough um if the moon was full enough and the closet was open she had a i don't know if it was like a jacket or a robe or something that would hang from the door and the way the light would reflect off of it i'd like wake up in the middle of the night and not be fully awake and i'd look at the closet and it would look like an extremely tall alien would be standing at the foot (laughs) of my bed after that happened a couple times it got to a point where i would not go to sleep if that closet door was open it had to be closed (laughs) so i don't know at what age children start like getting this these ideas of monsters and closets and stuff so have you experienced this with Gwen at all yet or is it too early for that my daughter is um two and uh she knows of monsters and she pretends that monsters are scary um but i don't think she has the true fear of them quite yet like it's kind of like fear (laughs) like (laughs) wait till you see this gremlin when you shine your light on it then then you will know fear yeah, I think right now it's just like a ooh monster, oh no, but it's not an actual like oh I'm afraid for my safety type thing. Um, okay, so I'll be interested to see. Um, there's like this feeling I get about picturing in the future with my own daughter of when she's afraid of the closet or I have to check under the bed. I feel like two percent of me is going to be like. What if? Oh, this. <laughs> oh no. And it reminded me of a Reddit thread from years ago that was is an Ask Reddit about like what's the creepiest thing your kid has ever done or said, and like there was some legitimately creepy things in there. I'll see if I can find it for the show notes. The chair scoots across, doors open, fire in the closet, walking towards the girl. Cut the title card. And then we come back from the title card and we see mom screaming in the window. And it's revealed to be one of Sam's secret dreams. I didn't really like the editing of this whole beginning because it kind of makes it seem like everything you just saw happened in Sam's head and not just the the woman in the window. I had to actually go back and rewatch the window, the woman in the window scene because I was very confused about that specific because like, I was like, what did I miss something? But I see what you're saying. Like it, it's, you don't know how far back is his dream, but I guess it did stick out so much to me that that made sense that that was the dream um, because it was so far away from everything that happened beforehand. So I see what they were trying to do with that. And then Sam becomes obsessed with drawing the tree outside the house. He's a good artist. 
and then Dean starts rattling off some cases that um, he thinks they should investigate. There was the crew missing from a trawler found off the coast of Mendocino, California, cattle mutilations in West Texas, Sacramento guy shot himself three times in the head. I tried looking these up. None of them seem to be like real urban legends or anything. Um, apparently the closest is that there was a guy in Sacramento who shot himself twice in the head. No, it's which I have heard is more common than you think. Yeah. I was going to say that actually sounds like it could happen. Sam realizes he has to try to convince Dean that they need to go back to Lawrence, Kansas. They have to go home because he realizes something is happening there. And Bruce nails his first prediction. Way to go, Bruce. <laughs> A few episodes ago, you said that Sam was going to tell Dean about his secret dreams in either like episode nine or 10. And it happened in episode nine. <laughs> nice job. I was a little disappointed in the way that happened, though. It, it didn't seem like a big reveal. It was just kind of in mid-conversation that it was like, well, I saw this, and blah, blah, and he kept going. Like, I thought it was going to be a big, like, I saw her death. And, like, it was going to be, like, a big reveal. And it was just kind of, we kind of glossed over it a little bit. Do you feel that it should have been done differently, or do you like the way it was done? It worked for this episode. For sure. Um, I could see it going differently. Like I said, I think it could be a big reveal and explaining why he didn't tell him it to begin with. Uh, but I mean, this, I mean, I'm going to give great reviews later on. I, I really enjoyed this episode in general. Um, so it worked really well for what they did for this. I do agree, though, that um, especially because we had asked this question earlier of like, why is Sam keeping that a secret? It worked for the Bloody Mary episode, but even after the Bloody Mary episode, he continued keeping the secret. And Casey, I liked your idea that for this family is pretty much anything supernatural is bad, which we might have to revisit that theory. But um, regardless of what the reason is, it's it comes out, like you said, Bruce, and then it's just like, okay, let's move on. And you would think that like, oh, this deep, dark secret that I've been holding for 10 episodes um, <laughs> that it would be like more of a scene when it's revealed either. Why didn't you tell me or who are you? What have you done with my brother? You monster, something like that. But no, it just kind of shrugged it off and went home. I think Dean also questions it a little bit. I think he still is kind of like, are these just random dreams? Because, Later on, we definitely were sitting in the car waiting for that dream to happen. And he's like, even questioning, like, why are we sitting here? Why, you know, this is done. So, I mean, maybe he just doesn't fully like comprehend what's really going on yet. I do like when he refers to it as the shining, though. <laughs> yeah. I did really enjoy that um, in this episode, we got to see kind of another side of Dean again. So we've seen confident Dean, scared Dean, proud Dean, connecting Dean. And this time we got to see Dean doubt himself a lot. So he swore he would never go back home. Um, he gets really uncomfortable. He gets nervous. He has to call his dad and beg him for help over voicemail because he's just really doubting about what's going on with him, what's going on with his brother, what's going on with everything. And I, don't know, I just thought that was really cool to see. And I think Jensen did a nice job with his acting in this one. I think... I can't remember specifically for Sam, but definitely Dean. And I, at one point, Sam had a scene that for both of them, it made me think like, wow, these actors are really earning their keep this week of like genuinely needing to act. It's not just interacting with whatever scene they're in. But I did have to laugh, though, at the, the swearing I'll never go back line was the most soap opera line that we've had in this show so far. Um <laughs> Because it's also like just in the way, especially I feel like for Sam's character or just an average person, no one talks like, especially when I, when you what? When I swore I would never go back. Like, no, you would just say, no, Sam, I swore I ne would never go back. Not, you know, like it's just a weird setup for this dramatic line. And he did it well for what it was, but it just kind of made me laugh. It's almost like an internal reflection at that point. Like, he's no longer talking to Sam. He's like, yeah. but I swore I never would go back. Like, <laughs> uh, once again, Bruce, I feel like I was there just now. That was good. <laughs> Dead on impression. So the boys get back to their home, and Dean starts to go with a lie. 
creating another alias again, but Sam's just no bullshit. Let's go straight on truth. Hey, I'm Sam. He's Dean. We used to live here. And Bruce, kind of to your point, thankfully she found that box of their photos just what a, a day or two ago and knows that they're telling truth and lets them in. I mean, what would happen if she didn't find that box so recently? So maybe you're right. Maybe someone is setting all this stuff up for them to be able to get into this house. That's a fun thing to think about. Like if someone knocked on your door, Casey, and said, hi, I used to live here. Can I just like walk around? You think you'd let them in or be like, no, no. We're in a global pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that's that tautology. Yes, that's tautology. <laughs> I feel like this is used a lot in media in general. Like, oh, let's go back to our house that we grew up in. And I've definitely seen it where it's like, can we look around? Because it's cool to see where we used to live. But yeah, I definitely wouldn't leave anybody in <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Especially two full-grown men. <laughs> they discover our classic signs of some type of haunting. Flickering lights, scratching noises in the walls and the floors, kids seeing stuff in the closet. So pretty early, they know that something's actually going on in the house. But I do like that for the past few episodes, we've known right at the beginning of the episode what we've been up against. And... Now we're back to an episode of trying having to figure out during the episode of what's going on with ever this monster of the week, whatever it is, um, and having to do some investigating. Was the so I know in the pilot the flickering lights was important. Was the scratching mentioned before? No, but that's more of a poltergeist thing. Okay, and this is our first poltergeist. So <laughs> fun fact: when she opens the refrigerator. And that lock that becomes important later, like the gun or whatever. I have that same lock on my refrigerator. So we come up to what was one of my favorite scenes in the episode, which was almost a porn scene. Um, Plumber comes into the house, has to inspect (laughs) some pipes, and he's uh, digging around, nothing inside the trap. He unplugs the garbage disposal, checks the switch to make sure. And this whole time, you guys know, like, everyone knows what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's a bad idea as soon as I was watching it. <laughs> I love how long they drew it out for. Yes. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Has his hand down in there. Nothing happens. Pricks his finger, pulls it back out. Everything's still cool. Sticks it back in. Seems like everything's going to be fine. Ugh. Monkeys going off in the background. Yeah. And they did a really good job of, in everyday life, if you, for example, if a light is flickering, you look up at the light and you're like, oh, that's weird. It's never like, oh, spooky. If a toy goes off, it actually it happened to me a couple of times with our electronic toys for the baby where it'll go off and I'll just be like, what was that? But like... For the most part, like you, you, something like that happens and you just shrug it off and keep going. I think the actor pulled it off well of like, it's tension for us in the audience. But as, as that character, he's just like, oh, well, that's weird. Um, until it like continues for a long time. And he's like, why is that thing still going? Yeah, he doesn't overplay it the first time it happens. It's very sure. good. And uh, we mentioned um, in a previous episode, I, I couldn't remember the terminology set up and payoff so that's why in my opinion why this scene is so good is we all know like you said casey we all know it's going to happen but that's why it's good television is that tension is there they drug it out for so long (laughs) and you know it's going to happen and it's just like how's how's it going to happen what's what's this gonna how's this gonna play out and then when it does happen between his scream the blood splattering onto his face and then the shot of the blood pouring out of the pipe. It's just incredible. It was so good. I like how they made it a point to let him take that piece off. Yeah. Make sure it's clean. And so the blood can run down through. (laughs) Phenomenal. And I think it was Eric Kripke who said they put in the shot fully expecting to not be allowed to use it. And it's then, pretty close, I think, for that yeah. type of television. But no one no one even said anything about it. They were <laughs> able to put it in, no problem at all. Um, so definitely some of the 
best gore we've seen so far on the series, I think. And then he sued the homeowner. <laughs> like, and then he sued the homeowner. <laughs> <laughs> so that's playing into my uh, point of, I think this is being set up, because at what point <laughs> do you get sued because a plumber stuck his hand down your... <laughs> garbage disposal no i'm sorry you're you're professional like it's even if it wasn't a poltergeist that did it to the poor guy uh even if you had some weird wiring like unless it was a straight up purposeful booby trap like i don't know i don't know the law but i feel like as the plumber it's it's your job like you stuck your hand down a garbage disposal that sucks but it's not her fault she wasn't even there well she wasn't even in the room it helps establish, though, that he survived. No one died this episode. Were there no kills? No. We saw no deaths and only one injury. Little Richie. Oh, is that the kid? <laughs> this scene! <laughs> <laughs> Little Richie gets freed by the poltergeist. The poltergeist unlocks the fridge. Little Richie climbs up inside, gets himself locked in. And just stays quiet. He's a very quiet child. I'm sure he's probably around the same yeah. age as Gwen, right? Could you imagine Gwen just hanging out in a little play area in the kitchen while you were doing something? I can't imagine that. Up? I can also can't imagine her going to a refrigerator and just being <laughs> calmly sitting inside. in there. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like hanging out in there. And then even when... Um, Jenny comes back and notices that he's gone and is like calling out for him. Kid doesn't make a peep. Well, I wonder. I, I can test it out after the episode. I wonder how soundproof a refrigerator is. I'll stick my kid in. See. <laughs> and then you find out that the fridge wasn't even actually locked, and there's no reason the kid was still in there. Oh, was it not locked? Oh, did you guys not catch no, that? No, I didn't it's catch so that. So bad. Listen, you have to go back and watch the scene. Aww. She had to pretend it was locked, but there's probably a straight up law against acting in that way. So, was it the strip? Mm-hmm. It's just straight up hanging down. Wow. Whenever she comes into the kitchen and is like looking around for him, it's not even like fake attached. And whenever she runs over to the fridge because she sees the milk pouring out, mm-hmm. she just opens um, it. She grabs the strap that's hanging down, <laughs> pulls it up to the lock. And then unlocks it. What? That's really interesting. Yes, you have to go back and watch it. My theory is that there, I, I guarantee there is a law for... I have heard of something similar about any... Not even just children, but like any sort of caging or encasing scene and acting. Like there, there has to be a 100% not caged at all. So I bet they attempted to shoot twice... And just didn't edit it in correctly. You know what I mean? Or like, for some reason, the second shot. Or they just didn't bother with the second shot. Yeah, no, I think someone just missed it. Because there's an edit. So you see that scene from the side. And then when she actually opens the fridge, it's from the front. Somebody fucked up. (laughs) So when they're shooting on the like, no one has to be in that fridge when they're shooting the shot of her unlocking it. Okay, yeah. In fact, I don't even know, because she opens it up and he's not, they can't see him anyway. Oh, weird. Yeah. Yeah, so the reveal is on the front of the fridge. Interesting. When it wouldn't have to be locked in the first place. So, yeah, I think it's just someone goofed, and I mean, it's a tight TV schedule. If they caught it too late, it's too late to go back and fix it. So, it just is what it is. Huh. Yeah, but definitely, you have to go look at it, because it's so bad. I wonder if... Well, that's like, I didn't notice it. So like, I, you know, like you said, it's a tight TV schedule. So they probably caught it and said, that's good enough. And honestly, it's true. It was good enough. I didn't notice it. But if you, it wasn't, well, (laughs) all right, you weren't, you weren't watching for it. Like, no, I didn't, I didn't know about it until you didn't know about it. And you just caught it without even meaning to. Yeah. When she's looking around on the side, you just see the strap hanging (laughs) down. That's stuff that you see because you've seen this before. That's absolutely what's happening because I'm not paying attention to the strap in the corner. I'm watching because honestly, this scene specifically freaked me out a little bit because like I'm imagining my two year old getting inside of a refrigerator and number one, probably can't breathe very well. Number two, 
who thinks to look in the refrigerator for a kid that they're missing? <laughs> I'm going to look outside. I'm going to look, you know, somewhere else. The last place I'm going to look is a refrigerator. So I imagine like, oh, it's going to take her a very long time to find this kid. And he's probably not going to be okay by the time she finds him. So like my mind is everywhere else except for that lock. <laughs> <laughs> One time. Actually, no, this is, this goes back to earlier. One time. My family lost the cordless telephone and we, we searched for like an hour or two and we kept calling it or like pushing the call button, could not find it, could not hear it. And finally, like my sister looked in the freezer and she had no idea why she was looking in the freezer. Just, we didn't have anywhere else to look and it was in the freezer (laughs) and, but it took us forever to think. So I was having the same thought, Bruce, of like. If my kid is missing, I'm not checking the fridge for two or three days. Like, it's just... (laughs) (laughs) You would open the fridge within that time, at least. You only get takeout when our kid is missing. (laughs) (laughs) And what's he doing in there that's spilling milk, anyway? I thought he was eating something. I don't know. Ice cream? But why would it be in the refrigerator? All right, we have to move on from this (laughs) kid in the fridge. (laughs) The boys find out about... Missouri Mosley, and oh boy, does she have some snark for Dean. Sure does. It's wonderful. I just love when people give Dean a hard time. <laughs> yeah, no one's given Sam a hard time yet in that, in such a way. That's because they all still pity him because his uh, girlfriend just died. <laughs> That's true. I love the psychic so much. She's my favorite thing in the world. And I like to think that this was a uh, win on my part on predictions. Because I'm counting her as a person that is coming with us along the way. You're counting her? She hasn't come anywhere yet. She went to the house with them. <laughs> so she's... Yeah, that doesn't count. You're, you're ah. saying she's their new companion? <laughs> she's their new companion. I, I Honestly, though, I really hope that she is a recurring character because she was so much fun in this episode. And it's with her help that they find out at the house that there are multiple spirits. One being a poltergeist. And that whatever it was that killed their mom is not involved in this haunting. So with Missouri's advice, they put together some little bags with some stuff in it. And we mention Angelica Root, Van Van Oil, and Crossroads Dirt. Do you guys want to hear a little bit about this stuff? Yes, please. So all three of these are commonly used in hoodoo. So hoodoo, also known as low country voodoo, in the Gula, South Carolina Low Country, is a traditional African-American spirituality that developed from a number of West African spiritual traditions and beliefs. So, it's similar to voodoo. First, we have the Angelica Root. Angelica Root, which is also known as Holy Ghost Root or Archangel Root, is believed to be a very powerful guardian and healer that also provides strength to women. Used by many to ward off evil and bring good luck to health and family, some might even put the root near their baby in a white flannel bag. If put in a blue flannel bag with lavender, this root is thought to bring peace to a marriage. In America, it is commonly found in African-American mojo bags prepared for protection from evil, for uncrossing, and to break a jinx. In powdered form, it is an ingredient in sachet powders used for healing and blessing. It may also be dusted on magic candles used for protection and prayer in matters of spiritual peace and blessing. So there's a couple things in there that talk about it being used to ward off evil and for cleansing. So applies. And then we have Van Van Oil, which is an old hoodoo formula for oil, incense, sachet powders, and washing products that are intended to get rid of evil, provide magical defense, change bad luck to good, as well as strengthening other charms. So again, applies. Nice job, guys. And then they have Crossroads Dirt. I couldn't find anything specific about Crossroads Dirt, but Crossroads are very big in hoodoo. So Crossroads are a place where two roads cross at about right angles, otherwise known as Forks in the Road. They're a subject of religious and folkloric beliefs all around the world. Because the crossroads is land that belongs to no one, a place outside the borders of town, it is considered a suitable site to perform magical rituals and cast spells. The use of the crossroads as an impromptu altar, where offerings are placed and rituals performed, is widely encountered in both European and African folklore. Fascinating. Yeah, so everything that they're using for these little hex bags that they're putting together, there is some kind of real lore behind why they're using it, which is pretty cool. A lot better than the Latin we got in Phantom Traveler. (laughs) The show definitely 
makes it a point to assume you know what a poltergeist is. Oh, yeah. So I noticed that. I don't particularly... Like, I've never seen the movie. I know of the movie. Um, but without looking it up, I really didn't know exactly what a poltergeist was. And I thought that was kind of weird that they didn't have an excerpt on, oh, these are the powers. Like, obviously, you can figure out through context. But usually, they have some type of conversation between them that explains, like, oh, this is what they usually do. So this is what this is. Um, there was nothing, none of that in this episode. You know, Bruce, I didn't even realize because I do know what a poltergeist is. So... Thanks for pointing that out. But let me let me educate you on poltergeist. The term is German for noisy spirit or noisy ghost. They're often said to be invisible spirits seeking attention, and that um, that attention seeking can sometimes turn violent. One of the most well known cases is referred to as the Engfield poltergeist. You guys ever heard of the Engfield poltergeist? I've heard the name. No. I don't remember anything about it. Did you ever see The Conjuring Two? Only saw the first one. Well, the second one is based off of the Angfield poltergeist. So here's a little story for you, as told by People.com. It all started in a quaint little home in Enfield, London in 1977 when Peggy Hodgson, a mother of four children, heard loud noises coming from her daughter's bedroom. When she went to tell her daughters Margaret, 12, and Janet, 11, to settle down and go to sleep, instead of roughhousing, she found them huddled in the corner with terrified expressions on their faces. We told our mom the chest of drawers was moving toward the bedroom door, Janet recalled. She said, don't be silly. But Peggy then witnessed the drawers moving herself in the direction of the door by a seemingly invisible force, almost as if some supernatural presence was trying to trap the girls in the room. And when she went to try and push back against the dresser, it wouldn't budge. Terrified, the Hodgson family ran across the street to ask for help from the neighbors, Vic and Peggy Nottingham. When Vic went into the house to investigate, he too said he heard strange noises coming from around the home. The Hodgsons called the police, and even though one officer claimed to have seen a chair move clear across the room, they deduced it was not a police matter. According to the family, that was just the beginning of what would become their nearly 18-month haunting. We didn't understand what was happening, Margaret said. We went through periods where we just couldn't believe what happened really. It's frightening. We didn't like to be on our own in the house or anything. When the strange instance continued, Peggy decided to call a popular UK publication, The Daily Mirror, to come and investigate the supposed supernatural occurrences. But when the reporter arrived, the house sat silent for hours. It wasn't until the reporter was about to leave that something happened. The photographer came back and a Lego brick hit him above the eye. He still had the mark a few days later. And then Maurice Gross came in on the case, Janet said. The Daily Mirror called the Society for Psychical Research, the SPR who sent Gross to investigate the case. During his stay at the house, Gross has said he witnessed more than 2,000 different incidents of supernatural activity. Furniture turning over, cups filled with water, fires igniting, voices, levitation, Janet recalled at the time. The most frightening encounter was when a curtain wrapped itself around my neck next to my bed. It was during this time in the house that the supposed poltergeist started speaking through Janet. The young girl would often go into a trance-like state where she would speak in deep, scratchy voice, claiming to be the ghost of a man named Bill Wilkins, who had died in the house years before. It was later proven that a man by that name was once a resident of the home, and did in fact die of a hemorrhage while sitting in the living room. The ghost would reportedly talk through Janet for hours at a time. Throughout the 18-month period, a number of additional paranormal researchers visited the house, including famed demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren, of course, many cast their doubt on the events, claiming the children were behind the elaborate hoax and were faking their demonic symptoms. Two SPR experts adamantly questioned Janet's gruff voice, and later caught the children bending spoons themselves. In fact, Janet admitted that she and her siblings fabricated a few events. Oh yeah, once or twice we faked it, just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us. They always did. Later, she would say that about 2% of the events in the house were faked. So we can't say for sure what was real or what wasn't for the Enfield poltergeist, but that is by far probably the most popular poltergeist story. That is spooky. Yeah, anytime anytime you get like multiple witnesses of like the chest of drawers, like that's really creepy. Like mother walking in on their terrified children and the chest of drawers is moving, like that's terrifying. Or even like a police officer says that they saw a chair <laughs> move across the room. Yeah. So, 
So how were they trying to get rid of the, was this supposed to be on every, I, I didn't quite catch the removal process. So the, the hex bags, was it just every level of the house or was it supposed to be every room? Every floor, four corners. So they had 12 bags. Each of them were supposed to place four bags. Okay. Did they each place one or is it just. Well, Greg, you <sighs> can assume that the, they're while you're watching one of them, the others are still placing bags. They don't stop because you're not watching. <laughs> Okay. It does make it seem like that's the first one that they're doing. So for me, what really got to me is like they had some sort of conversation about like we got to move quick before the poltergeist catches on, right? And then the very first instance of showing them putting a hex bag anywhere, the poltergeist is attacking. And it's like, you're right, things happen outside of what we're seeing, but we have to assume that was like the eighth <laughs> hex bag and we just never saw anything. It just rubbed me the wrong way. So would you prefer to have seen all 12 being placed? Yeah, I wanted a like a 10-minute scene where they... <laughs> <laughs> just, just go, go around kicking in drywall to put a bag in and nothing happened. Yeah. That poltergeist attacking, I believe it was Dean, um, in the kitchen, that was intense! The, the knives flying at the table, that was yeah. a crazy scene. It's good. Because I was like, the, the the first knife flew into it, and I was like, oh, oh my god. And then ten more fly. <laughs> <laughs> this was a, a good use of non-CGI. Uh, I, I, you might have got a little bit of CGI, especially with the first knife. But the second one was him flipping up a table and then everything coming through. As opposed to the the next scene with the electric cord where you're physically watching a floating object like it looks a little wonky it's not terrible but the knives were just like you understand what's happening you don't have to physically see it exactly on screen i I like that i thought um the i forget what it was the chest or something flying towards the psychic in the basement was going to be more damaging like it looked like that took out her legs and i thought she was done um but i guess she's okay and everything's fine yeah, she was cool. Just hurt her a little. And then Sam gets strangled by that lamp cord. And of course, Dean comes to his rescue. Kicks in the wall, puts the bag in. And then you see that bright light. The thunderclap, as the captions say. <laughs> they think everything's fine. They say that Missouri did her Zelda Rubenstein thing, which is a Poltergeist reference, Bruce. <laughs> Zelda was the psychic in Poltergeist. Okay. She's the best character in Poltergeist. I gotta rewatch that movie, man. And then we get to the scene where that you mentioned, um, where the boys are waiting outside because Sam just knows he knows it's not over yet. And then he sees his secret dream play out with Jenny, no last name, in the window calling for help. Is it weird that she went to the window first? Did she know they were out there? That's what I was wondering. Now, once again, this is like... Maybe things happened that you didn't see on screen. So she tried the door. It was locked. She went to the window, tried the door again, and it was locked still. But I also, like, it's a very recognizable car. <laughs> I'm sure at some point that night she looked out her window. Like, she had to have known they were there, right? You're not hiding that car directly across the street. And, yeah, we could have even missed them just directly saying, like, hey... We're going to hang out here for most of the night. <laughs> just make sure you don't, you don't die. If you need anything, just bang on the window. She's already very trusting of them, so I'm sure that'd be fine. <laughs> Sam and Dean run inside, do the hero thing. Dean goes to help Jenny. Sam goes to help the kids. He sees the walking fire. And then he says the thing. He does the thing. Guys, I don't know what the thing is. I mean, I probably know what it is once you say it. <laughs> he tells, sorry. Take your brother outside as fast as you can. Don't look back. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> and that's when he gets trapped inside. Why was he going back? Like, why did he make sure that she took him? To fight the poltergeist, I guess. I don't know what he expected to do, but... Because I didn't know if he was going back to, like, confront it because he thought maybe it was connected to his mom or connected to his girlfriend. It just it doesn't make too much sense because they were at the exit and... You know, they have an arsenal of ghost fighting equipment in their trunk 
and they have a psychic sidekick, and everybody's out of the house, so you should just kind of hold off. But he rushes in to take it on fisticuffs. I don't know what he planned on doing. Do you think at that point he already knew who it was? Uh, like do you, do you think when he saw it in the bedroom, he figured out who it was? Because he doesn't really panic either whenever he's pinned to the wall and it starts to approach. Maybe when I when as I was watching it, I thought it was just there's a thing here likely related to what killed my mom. I'm gonna face it. But yeah, that's a good point. Like he did see his mom in the bedroom, so maybe he did realize what it was, who it was, mm-hmm. or he at least thought it might be. Um, yeah. Because it takes him a while, even when he's being held against the wall, to figure out what's going on. So then, mom just does their job for them and dies again like dead dead gone gone yikes i know budget plays a lot into it but man i wish we could add more of a ghost fight there see in my head i i number one i don't think mom's gone for real i don't think that's real but it it felt like they were very connected so whatever was there was going after sam it was a real poltergeist throwing sam against the wall um, but right before, you know, Sam and Dean are going to die or whatever, mom is able to, you know, because she's connected to whatever that is, um, come through and take care of them. So that was my interpretation as a new viewer. I thought, you know, there's more to it than just, you know, she's there and she's fighting and she dies. It's just, it doesn't work for me. So I think there's more to it. So wait, you said the mom is connected or you saying the mom is connected to the house, the poltergeist or the boys? To the poltergeist. Okay. I feel like the mom is connected to the poltergeist. Do you think so the she poltergeist is related to... to her death? No, maybe. Okay, I'm just wondering, like, in what way they're con- just because they're both like supernatural entities in the area. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but specifically to her death, like, I thought maybe I'm thinking about like Harry Potter first uh, season. Like, he's they're a part of by love. Oh, he's a horcrux. <laughs> Yeah, just something like that, where he's just like, she is like a part of it because she was killed by it, or, you know, something along those lines. I have a couple problems with this. This whole part of the plot is whether or not she's dead, dead, gone, gone. She took care of their problem. So, deus ex mamina. Get it? They... (laughs) Um, Man, I'm proud of that. She took care of their problem, and one of my main issues with this, though, is, aside from the general issue of deus ex machina, is Dean should know how to get rid of a poltergeist. He has done it before with their dad. In the Phantom Traveler. Why do you feel that he doesn't? Because they they did it with... The psychic, they did it her way and they questioned everything, like not everything, but like they were like, what's this? What are we doing? How's this work? And then when, well, I guess in their defense, she told them it was gone when it wasn't. But as far as getting rid of a poltergeist, like it just seemed like they were doing what she said and it didn't pan out and their mom had to save them when Dean shouldn't have needed help in the first place of just knowing what to do. If he didn't know what hex bags were, he apparently knew a different way to get rid of poltergeists that would have been helpful. So, without getting too far ahead, I mean, we've already seen there's multiple ways to get rid of a spirit. Okay, yeah, sure. So, there's a chance that whatever whatever method they use to get rid of the poltergeist in Katanning doesn't necessarily apply to this situation. Okay, that's a good point. And... I mean, like you said, she not only did she say that the spirit was gone, but we had the whole scene of the bright light and the weird noise and everything looking like this played out like we've seen in the past where the spirit has been destroyed. So, I I, I mean, personally, I don't think Dean did is at fault for anything here, really. So just to make sure you guys keep referencing the poltergeist. They're not fighting the poltergeist anymore, right? Because there was there's more than one. There was the one that she knew was there, and then there was the one that she didn't know what it was. Oh, that was their mom. Oh, okay. I was see in my head that that was another that was whatever we fought. Mm-hmm. Like there was like the poltergeist that was a normal 
And then I, for some reason in my head, I was thinking that there was something else. So that, that messes oh. with my, that's probably why okay. I, I see I interpret okay. a lot of things no. differently. There was the poltergeist and their mother. Those were the two spirits. Uh, I did not catch that. <laughs> yeah. And then once you find out that this flaming spirit was actually their mother, it kind of completely twists around what we saw at the beginning of the episode. So we see the flaming spirit inside of what turns out to be Sam's old nursery in the daughter's room. And you see it open up the closet and start to walk out like it's going to hurt the girl. But now we get the impression that it was maybe trying to actually protect her from the poltergeist. We see the poltergeist go after the boy and the mother, but we never see anything happen to the girl. Mm. And I think that's because their mother was protecting that girl from the poltergeist. Because she was in what used to be the nursery. Yeah. Okay. I like that. (laughs) It seemed weird to me that she, Dean didn't know who it was. So she was able to do a flame off and say, hi, it's me. And it's just like, maybe that's how you should present yourself to this little girl who's terrified of you. (laughs) She had to flame on to defeat the poltergeist. So maybe that was just kind of the form she has to take on to have her full yeah. benevolent spirit powers. That makes me feel better for describing it that way. Like that's how she's protecting. Yeah. I need to go watch this episode again. <laughs> <laughs> Did you expect the uh, flaming ghost to be their mother? I didn't. I honestly thought it was a separate entity. Oh, so you I thought no like idea. the flame was like, Almost like a gate that she walked through. Right. So she pushed through from the other side oh, to defeat oh. whatever the flaming man oh, was. No. Wow. So. Oh, no. Yeah. She was the flaming thing. <laughs> <laughs> you guys ready to start over? We're just. Uh... <laughs> Not uh, like now that you mentioned, I could see where you might get that idea. And I don't know. The first time I watched it, maybe I had similar confusion and. I'm just helped this time by the fact that I've seen it before, but yeah, I can see how that could be confusing. Okay. So ignoring the flame thing though, I still have the same question. Did you expect to see the mom at all? No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, And I thought it was very weird when he was like, Oh, I think I know who it is because it didn't look anything like anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That's his, that's the shining. That's the, (laughs) and then towards the end, we get the scene of everyone happily, walking out of the house and um, Sam is talking to uh, Missouri and just straight up asks her what's happening to me. She tells him that he doesn't know, but it really makes you feel bad for Sam. This is the first time he really sounds scared about what he's experiencing with. He's had these dreams before he's started to get used to them. And now he's sensing spirits and doesn't understand how far this is going to go. I think that was one of the scenes I was referencing earlier with the, the actors earning their keep. It's not just an inquisitive like, hey, what's happening to me? It's like, no, he's wrecked. He's like really feeling a whole lot of feelings that I wouldn't even be able to describe. And he does a good job with it. That scene <laughs> made me laugh because it reminded me of, well, first off, it, it made me laugh because she cleared the house again, said like, yeah, nobody's in there. No, no spirits and whatnot. And it reminded me of the scene from Pitch Black when, when Riddick was like, uh, looks clear. <laughs> and the guy like gets up to go and he gets almost beheaded by a creature. He's like, you said it was clear. I said it looked clear. <laughs> well, how's it look now? <laughs> looks clear. Greg, I just want to thank you for that topical 20-year-old movie reference. <laughs> it's such a good movie. Go out and watch it. And then we get the big reveal at the end. Bruce, were you ready for this one? I would like to say that my prediction uh, played out, but uh, no, I was not ready for that to happen. (laughs) I was proud of you. We see Dad, and he says that he can't see the boys until he knows the truth. Why the f*** not? Isn't Missouri the truth? What do you mean? Where he found the truth or something? Uh, (laughs) But we don't... (laughs) He knows the truth already. There's only one truth. (laughs) We don't know what truth he's referring to now. I like to think that uh, the psychic and... um, their dad or shacking up <laughs> you think so well you know bruce it's funny that you mentioned it that. it is funny that you mentioned that 
You know what this sounds like a good time for? Hey, who is that? Hey, <laughs> who is that? Our weekly segment where we take a look at some of the guest stars in this week's episode of Supernatural. So first up, just a quick touch on John Winchester, played by the always lovely Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Hey, who is that? I know him, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you probably recognize him from The Walking Dead, portraying Negan. Or if you're Greg, you recognize him most from Grey's Anatomy. That's right. He's also in The Losers, and everyone should watch it. Next, we'll go to our friendly neighborhood psychic, Missouri Mosley, played by Loretta Devine. Hey, who is that? Oh boy, wow. Loretta has 157 acting credits. Oh god. And that doesn't include her time on the stage. So she's been nominated for two Emmys and one Critics' Choice Award for her portrayal of Adele Weber on Greg's favorite TV show, Grey's Anatomy. So her and Jeffrey Dean Morgan did spend some time together on Grey's Anatomy. Honestly, though, they might not have had a single scene together, though, but (laughs) it is just a fun fact. Uh, You may also recognize Loretta from Urban Legend, a wonderful 1998 film, I Am Sam, Boston Public, or the voice of Hallie Hippo on Doc McStuffins. And then next we'll go to our possible murderer, Jenny No Last Name. (laughs) She was played by Kristen Richardson. Hey. Who is that? So there's really only two things to focus on with Kristen. A quick one is that she's actually married to Kevin from the Backstreet Boys. The more important one that we're going to spend some time on is her 2010 appearance on Supernatural. (laughs) But I do not mean this show that we are watching. I mean a pun of the food combined with the title of this show. That's right. S-O-U-P-E-R-N-A-T-U-R-A-L. Supernatural. So, from everything I could find, this was a very small indie film from 2010. Website's still active. There'll be a link in the show notes. But um, can I just read this movie description to you guys? Yes, please. When a local small TV station captures something unexplainable on tape, what happens? The station uses it to boost the ratings, of course. But when they call it a miracle, are they reporting or interpreting? As the story of a lifetime unfolds, promising young reporter Kelly O'Day, played by our one and only Kristen Richardson, must choose between career goals and personal beliefs, private friendships and professional loyalties, facts and faith. As her boss Bob tries desperately to keep up with a rival news director, Kelly must decide. Does she fight to follow a murder story that has shaken the community? Or does she obey Bob by exploiting this ratings-boosting accident? Above all, she must figure out how to pursue a story that no one believes in while trying to find a mysterious man who some say is the Messiah. But who is this man really? <laughs> a low-life drifter? A con man? Or simply a humble servant quietly spreading hope, faith, and kindness in a cynical, suspicious world? Supernatural is a movie that pits faith against reason, newsroom ethics against ratings, personal values against media dictates, and individual responsibility against media credibility. It's a film that examines the local news media, the power it wields, and its effect on people, collectively and individually. But it's also the story of an individual, with a mission to deliver service, great or small, to one person at a time. How this can have an even more powerful effect on the world, and how the one story that should be left alone, of course, isn't. When members of the news media get caught up in the frenzied sensationalism of a story, will they realize that they might actually be delivering the truth? I want to watch that right now. Thanks for tuning in to Hey, Who Is That? We'll see you next week. Reviews. Reviews? Reviews. I give this episode eight poltergeists out of ten. My knee-jerk reaction is almost to give it a nine or a ten because I'm just so stoked to be on an episode that is about our overarching story. But once I calm down, like I, I downgrade it to an eight, mostly for what I was saying earlier. Of I wasn't a fan of their mom just swooping in and saving the day and 
either dying again or pretending to die again. It just seemed like, aside from my complaint about about it being deus ex machina, it's it's also just like, if she's going to disintegrate into a puff of smoke, like I I would want it to be more meaningful than to get rid of an entity that that they normally would be able to get rid of on their own. Um, it just doesn't feel right. So hopefully, like you said, Bruce, maybe she's not gone forever. We will find out. But then also, like as excited as I was to get back to the overarching story, is almost like a tease of, hey, it's the house. Hey, it's the mom. Hey, it's the dad. Doesn't resolve anything. You don't learn much new. You learn that the mother was a ghost. But it felt like a bit of a tease. So that's why I'm only giving it an eight. I am giving it eight and a half out of ten poltergeists. My first reaction was, this was not Bugs. This was not our episode before. <laughs> and we just took it to a whole new level from last ep- past couple of episodes, even. I loved the Dean not knowing what to do. In the past, I talked about this, where uh, I was hoping at some point they wouldn't know how to fix it. Now that you bring up that we've gone after things like this, it, it does kind of take away that a little bit. But I like the doubt. Um, we saw Dean cry, I think. There was definitely a tear in his eye as he was talking to his father on the phone through the voicemail. Sam used his premonition to save someone. I was really... I, I was going to be very disappointed if they let her die in, in through his stream. Like, he saw somebody else die. <laughs> I was going to be very upset about that. I wasn't super in love, like you said, the uh, electric cord slithering across the floor. Even the pins being pulled out of the playpen where it's kind of it just didn't look exactly great but i did love sam being thrown against like the wall that seemed very natural and great i loved mom saving the day with her love um i realized that's not what i (laughs) what was really put out there but my interpretation was that she ultimately was able to do something from the grave and save her um son's one last time i don't believe so but you know from what we know this is the last time that she can do something for her sons this is probably my favorite episode so far even the over the pilot i really just enjoyed the uh progression of the story like you said it doesn't resolve anything but i think that's important because this gives us so many options to you know, dive into what's dad doing? Um, are him and the psychic going to have beautiful babies? We don't know. Is mom still out there? And, uh, you know, why doesn't Dean want to go back? There's so much good stuff that they can pull from this episode. And it was just a fun episode in general. Eight and a half out of 10 poltergeists. All right. So I have a whole call it a fan theory. I don't care about kind of their mother and this house. So, Missouri tells the boys that she's been keeping her eye on the house and that nothing has happened all this time. Why are they seeing this activity now? What's going on? From what we've seen, ghosts don't just show up. They pretty much turn into ghosts as soon as what it, whenever their horrific death is. Um, and their haunting starts then. So the assumption is that even if Mary's a benevolent spirit she's been a spirit inside that house ever since she died. So my theory is that Mary's been protecting the old Winchester house ever since she died. And that's why, um, that's why Missouri hasn't been able to see anything happening there because their mom's been protecting it. And now this really strong, really evil poltergeist showed up and it's the first time she hasn't just been able to protect this house from the spirit and that's what triggers Sam's secret dream of this family that's going to die from this poltergeist. And Bruce, like you said, it comes down to her being able to defeat this poltergeist because of her love for the boys. She has been living this whole time in this house for 20 years, protecting it. And then whenever it's her son's lives at stake, she's able to just sacrifice herself because she knows she has to protect them and destroy this poltergeist and i think john kind of has that same feeling which is why he gets kind of so emotional when he finds out that she really sacrificed herself for them that's a good theory mm-hmm. i think it plays out for sure it 
they don't really talk about why that was a thing. So that that definitely works. So that's why I give this episode a nine. <laughs> I mean, pretty much all the same stuff you guys said. But Greg, you, one thing that tore the episode down for you was this kind of random stuff happening, which I do see explanations for. So it kind of boosts it back up for me. Um, and like Bruce said, I do enjoy what gets set up for the future. We get kind of just a little, little bit of teases for what's going to be happening next. What's, what's going to be the next big thing with Sam? What's this truth that John is hunting? When is when are they going to finally meet up and resolve everything? And we know that this poltergeist isn't what killed their mom. So that mystery is still out there of what killed their mom. I just think we have a lot of really great stuff to go off of. And we saw some really, really great acting from Jensen, Jared, and even our guest stars in this, um, like Loretta and even Kristen. Even the plumber. <laughs> even the plumber. And yeah, we got what is one of the best scenes in the series so far with the plumber so all that adds up to a nine for me nine poltergeist out of ten i also really enjoyed um they kept coming back to the theme of dean carrying out sam of the the house and i just liked how they kept referring back to that and i think they use that more as a metaphor as well like dean is always there to protect him and like help him through things and i like that we just explored that specific part of the pilot a little bit more I have this really weird hang-up where if someone is taller than someone, that person is older than them. Oh, no. (laughs) I have had it my entire life, including like me now as almost a 30-year-old man. If I run into someone who's taller than me, what do you mean you're 25? You're older than me. And so it's always this weird feeling of, I think back when I used to watch the show, I would get confused about who was older because <laughs> Sam is so tall. What are their heights? Uh, like How seven, tall is eight, he? and four, five. <laughs> if I could say one more note, though, on my issues with the mother swooping in and saving them, I, I think it's just the same issue that I have with a lot of these, where it like it all comes to the final showdown and it's solved in like a seven second one liner from the mom and, and she swoops out and she's done. If if we're saying this poltergeist was like, for example, say it's extra powerful. That's why they're having so much trouble. I just, I just think it's an issue. This show has of the climax. It's uh, they, they don't drag it out enough, I guess. She had to destroy herself. Yeah. But like, <laughs> and that wasn't enough for you. No, but so compare it to, I haven't seen it in two or three years, so I might be wrong, but uh, season finale of first season of Stranger Things, where she had to destroy herself to destroy the thing, but that final battle was forever long. Not forever, but like it was more than seven seconds is my point. So. Yeah, let's compare it. An episodic TV show from 2005 uh, to a serialized God. television show in 2015 maybe that's part of it maybe that's just the way i feel because of the the type of tv i watch now so yeah that's exactly what i'm gonna do a show that per episode probably has about eight extra minutes okay well cool greg (laughs) but also in that specific stranger things episode because we're a stranger things podcast now um was that was not the final plan though right that was not what she was trying to do to destroy herself right? right No. So this happens in a lot of media where it's like the final, oh yeah, this is how I beat this, is how our monsters are beaten. Even in superheroes, like Spider-Man doesn't defeat things by just punching his way out of it. It's that final like realization on how to beat something. Um, so like, I mean, it's it's almost every media. The, the last 30 seconds are your most important part of the fight. Next week on Supernatural, we're watching Season 1, Episode 10, Asylum. Sam and Dean investigate an abandoned sanitarium and discover the patients had revolted against the cruel punishments inflicted by the head doctor. So specifically to that episode description, next week sounds very creepy. I, I've watched a lot of horror things about those types of places, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Specifically to our characters, Sam is going to continue to save people. Um, with his secret dreams. Um, I put in that I think he's going to start having daydreams. So not only will he have these premonitions 
while he's sleeping at night. Um, maybe he nods off for a second and has a future prediction that is going to help them. So I think that's going to continue. I'm excited to see Dean's battle. I want to, there has to be more to why he doesn't want to go back. Um, so we're going to find out eventually what really happened and why he doesn't go back to his house. Um, I'm going to, I have to disagree there. I'm sorry. Other than his mom dying. You think you, think, <laughs> you need more? <laughs> yeah, you need more than his mom dying and his life changing forever. Well, Sam will go back. That's fine. <laughs> Sam doesn't remember it. <laughs> That's very true. I don't know where we're going with that. That last scene really uh, threw me off. Um, I like to think that the psychic is going to continue uh, being a part of our weekly run-in, but he's going to find the truth, um, whatever that is. I guess the truth about his mom dying, but that seems played out at this point. So dad's not going to be in the next episode. He's going to be in the episode after that. Oh, that's a hard thing. So you think dad will be in episode 11 yes um because especially because tomorrow, next week sounds like a filler episode in your description ah good call <laughs> what do you think's happening to sam i think we've talked about this before and i hope it's more of like an x-men thing where this is just a naturally developing uh superpower um this show isn't like that usually though um, so it's definitely something connected with whatever's going on with uh, the killer or this demon that is putting things in motion to get them to a certain place. For any questions, comments, or smart remarks, send them to naturalfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at naturalfriendspodcast. Thank you to our fans and our wives for your continuous support. If you enjoyed this, drop us a review and subscribe. Thank you for joining us. We are Natural, natural, natural Friends. friends. We had a conversation about the Impala not having headrests. Oh, yeah. I was talking to my wife and uh, the, about, about her 64 Comet, and it does not have headrests either. Hey, Bruce. Yeah. Thanks for the follow. Up. <laughs> um, I also read that a lot of shows um, take headrests out for more dialogue, but so I wasn't sure which way they were going to go with that. Um, so, but that car probably doesn't have headrest stock anyway. <laughs> <laughs>